This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Any designer will tell you that flowers and foliage are the ultimate finishing touches to any room. And any gardener will tell you that flowers and plants are an addiction, a beautiful and yes, often expensive obsession. From a simple supermarket bouquet to a small city flower box, from grand wedding celebrations to intimate dinners for two, flowers have the power to enchant and delight. But flowers are also a huge global business one that, like so much else, has been impacted by the pandemic and the global supply chain disruptions. I'm delighted to have with me today two women who understand the power of flowers, have seen fashions and flowers come and go, and who have made successful careers in working with and expanding upon the ways flowers bring joy and enrich our lives. First up is Ingrid Carozzi, who founded her floral business, Tin Can Studios in Brooklyn in 2013. Her first book, Handpicked, came out in 2017, and she is about to launch her latest, Flowers by Design, Creating Arrangements for Your Space, which is full of practical advice as well as stunning floral arrangements. Hello, Ingrid. Hey, how are you, Michael? So glad you're here. I'm also happy to have with us Frances Palmer, a renowned ceramicist and gardener based in Connecticut, whose postings on Instagram of arrangements, often drawn from her extensive flower beds and displayed in her own beautiful vases, urns, and bowls, have garnered her nearly 100,000 followers. Her first book, Life in the Studio, Inspiration and Lessons on Creativity, brilliantly encapsulates her philosophy, details her process, gives advice on growing her beloved dahlias and other favorites, and even includes recipes, since she's a wonderful cook and hostess. Welcome, Francis. Hello, Michael. Thank you so much for inviting me. So glad you are both here. So Ingrid, I'd love to start with you because flowers literally are your business and you have been doing this for a long time. And I know during the pandemic, every event was canceled. There were no more weddings, no more, you know, winter antique show, no nothing. So how did you deal with that? I understand you pivoted and created a whole new business. I'd love you to talk a little bit about how the pandemic has changed. And now that COVID is receding, are things picking up again? It was quite, um, you know, obviously a shock. Uh, I was standing in a box truck full of flowers on my way to the Frick. Um, We were doing their Young Collectors Ball with Gabriella Hurst as the hostess. And uh, I get a call and all events were on pause, basically. And we had to stop what we were doing. Uh, I was supposed to shoot the behind the scenes for my book um, there in their beautiful palm court, if that's the right word. I think there's like mm-hmm. the fountains and the palm leaves and the, the we were going right. to do a big floral installation that was going to be photographed. And um, obviously, you know, the second they called, I understood that this is something really serious. Um, we're not going to be able to continue what is our what we do. Like we do events only. I've never done retail. I never want to do retail. So we decided we had to find something else to do. And very quickly, I started to basically design um, and put together these boxes that we shipped out across the country, all of the states, and sold flowers. And then we filmed videos. And I also taught 
in-person class, like classes, not in-person, the opposite of in-person classes. Mm -hmm. So classes with people, you know, smaller groups, 15, 20 people. And we were, they were basically getting flowers in their hands, the same flowers I was working with. And that's how we sort of just kept busy. So you were kind of like a door dash for flowers, but then you also had the instructional component of what to do with the flowers. Correct. So because I had already a book in my belt, so to speak, I had the ability to put together flower recipes, um, mm -hmm. as we call them. There's so many connections with cooking, obviously, and flowers. And so I had that expertise already. I knew how to write a recipe. And so it was it was something I had honestly been thinking about before, like that I wanted to do you know, get flowers to people somehow. And so it kind of just forced me to very quickly get this together. Right. And so I was filming these um, videos in my backyard. I was mm -hmm. making arrangements in my backyard because I was doing everything from home. I didn't go to the studio. And um, yeah, I mean, half of the design is sort of like finding the right ingredients, which can be hard for people, mm -hmm. obviously. There isn't the most amazing access and not everybody is lucky enough to have a garden. Right. Um, and so that's sort of those are the little tricks that I have always, you know, growing up in Sweden, we would just go out on the field and pick forage. You know, the forest is your you can go do whatever you want there. It's allowed. But here in Brooklyn, you know, I have to go into, you know, the industrial neighborhoods and right. and pull out weeds. So. If you have the right flowers, you can make the most beautiful arrangement in the world. And if you have a beautiful vase, then that's like a third of, you know, with our recipes, it's one third vase, two thirds flowers. If you have a gorgeous Francis Palmer vase and then some mm -hmm. beautiful flowers, you're pretty much done. You know, right. it's not it's just, you know, materials. And so we were putting these materials in the hands of people, right. which felt really great and really special. Right. right. Now, your book also goes into a lot of that, which I found fascinating, how to work with wire and frogs and all that and different phases that you have. Was that something you were planning before the pandemic because you were already working on your book? Was it always intended to be kind of like almost a recipe book? Yes. So basically, Abrams just came and asked me if I wanted to do a second book. And they basically told me I could do whatever I wanted, which was very, it's really hard you know, when it's just like a blank slate. And when I launched my first book, there weren't that many... At least to me, there weren't that many inspiring books at the time, flower arranging mm -hmm. books. There mm -hmm. were thousands of cookbooks, but very few flower arranging books at the time. So it was easy. The first one was easy. The second right. one, you know, there were already now there were like other flower arranging books popping up. And so it was like I wanted to do something interesting. And to me, for me, like part of the the really fun part of working with flowers is presenting them to people. So I wanted to include people in the book and the people that have inspired me over the years in my profession and that basically also do a big part of the design is like they're bringing color palettes to me and asking me to create something, right. you know, a concept. And and so for me, um, it kind of was a really cool way to like show my appreciation for these people that have inspired right. me over the years. Now, Francis, I want to ask you, Clearly, you are not a florist. You do not sell flowers, but you have for a long time been making the most amazing vases and urns and bowls and beautiful things. And you have your own kiln and you hand fire and glaze everything yourself, I know. But I think before even the pandemic, you started posting on Instagram arrangements. That was pre-pandemic, no? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So did you find that during the pandemic, a lot of people glommed on to your site? Because you do incredible arrangements, I guess, in your, 
just explain to me how that came about and how your audience has grown, because I'm fascinated by this. Well, I've been making ceramics now for about, um, you know, over 34 years. And from the beginning, I, because my point of view to making the work was to make functional work that was very beautiful and that I felt would have the spirit of my hands in the pieces, I knew that I wouldn't be necessarily getting the work back once it left my studio. So from the very beginning, I learned to document the work. So I have a real catalog of all the things I've made over the years. And in the photography, I found very early on that if you put flowers or fruit or something in the vessel, it would give the viewer a sense of scale. So I really, from the very start, was doing the flowers. And then when we moved to the house in Weston, on this side of Weston, which we've been in there, like, we've been here about 28 years now, because the first house we lived in was like a 40s glass house on a cantilevered house in the hillside, which didn't really give much opportunity for gardening, although it was very beautiful. When we moved to this property, I finally had a flat piece of land with sun. And I had been studying all the, you know, I just love to read about English gardens and all the beautiful flowers. And I found that if you went to, even if I went into the city to 28th Street, you couldn't find those really special, special flowers. So that's, I started growing those very, very early on. But unlike Ingrid, who has this amazing ability and goes out into the world, the flowers for me have always been kind of my own little paradise. It, I don't, I never sell the flowers. I, I give them away. I share them. I'm happy to do all of that. But I really have this whole, I have this dialogue between the ceramics and the flowers. And as the years go by, it kind of gets more and more intense and so intertwined that I I love the flowers as much as the ceramics, although the ceramics or my metier and I have to say something about the vase and flowers. The flowers are transient and the the vase is not. The vase hopefully is permanent. I actually broke this amazing vase last week so that's not 100% true when it's ceramics or porcelain. Right. But right. but they're meant to they're meant to not. They don't wilt. I mean they're they're something that's permanent. Exactly. And for me that connection of transient and permanent together I get like goosebumps just thinking about it because now it's it's so beautiful yeah and that's the part that's is actually stressful working with flowers it's not something that's going to stay alive for a long time and the way we can honor that is taking photos like you said Mm -hmm. I think also because I'm growing everything and I'm sure you would agree with this too is that I can kind of follow the cycle of the flower from its bud to when it's in a full bloom, to when it starts to decay. And all stages are incredible. And I have that opportunity to observe the whole stage and how the whole kind of garden moves as a whole across the season. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we're all we're all just waiting for spring to come. I can look out the window and see all my witch hazels blooming, my pussy willows are blooming, but I'm waiting for those bulbs to pop out of the ground and start that whole parade of, of beauty. I do hope to one day um, start growing my own because that is one of the biggest issues now is materials. And I would love to have locally grow. And not only that, Michael, but like 
even like getting the colors you want and the ingredients you want mm -hmm. to use. And, and um, you know, the one very big central power in that conversation was Florette, in my opinion. I don't know if you agree, Francis, but, you know, she actually brought in a lot of very interesting flowers that weren't available earlier and that we could get our hands on. So Erin Benzakain has a farm and she grows dahlias and sell, sold. Now she doesn't sell her tubers anymore, but... She sells seeds and she created this collective, basically, of farmers across the United States. And through her seeds and that she was shipping, like sell, selling those, there were now new like colors showing up that weren't didn't exist before that mm -hmm. people didn't have. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think yeah. I think she's been incredibly important, you know, for professional flower growers. And I think so many companies, seed companies have have expanded their range but she's she's definitely a force in yes in that whole world exactly so thanks to Aaron um you know there was a different new material started to be available that we didn't have access to before so for me the dream would be to like have my own garden I mean that's how again how I grew up um in Sweden we had through school you would get a little patch to grow some vegetables and some flowers and that's why sort of it was natural to me to like mix those things in my arrangements also because we had right. access to that and that's something Constance Spry who I'm sure has inspired you tremendously Francis that you know she had like taught you know about victory gardens and they also were called like war I think they were they were also called war gardens but that was something where she was um, also doing the same thing like mixing flowers and 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 vegetables right. and fruit right yeah and that's one of the things I want to ask you both about is Flowers are clearly part of the zeitgeist and the design of flowers is influenced by everything. And I mean, I know I've seen styles of arrangements come and go, you know, in the 70s, it was this very minimalist thing, kind of almost industrial, very few flowers. Then there was the big branches and glass cylinders that were everywhere. And, and you know, certainly this in affects interior design and you would see it in the shelter magazines. And then there were the big bunches of peonies or one single flower that was so prevalent. And now looking at your book, Ingrid, I would, it seems to me that there's a whole shift in palettes to go to more like beiges and pale golden colors and everything. And I think that's so interesting. Get away from those bright, vivid pinks and everything, you know, and now we're seeing, you see it on Instagram, which of course influences everything as it always has. And Francis, you're an exemplar of that. You know, you're starting to see a lot of more Ikebana kind of influence, minimal kind of thing. So I'd love to get a sense from both of you what you're looking at now, what you think is coming next. Ingrid, what your clients are asking for. And Francis, what you're thinking about in terms of shapes and colors, because you've also been doing more color in your ceramics. Well, I know. I think because of Instagram, for obvious reason, it has there's this explosion. Um, I think that there, it was kind of stale um, before we right around when I started working with flowers, things were kind of a little boring to be honest in my opinion um i had worked mm -hmm. in the um events industry before i started working with flowers and it, it was kind of um there was a style that had been there for a while let's say and and for me it was exciting because there were a few other florists in brooklyn that were doing this more like lush sort of loose style literally next door i had um sarah rihanan of saipua who was part of this you know working with chicken wire which is a very important part of flower arranging um, in terms of this new style that started to evolve um, after the more stiffer kind of like white orchids, white, you know, um, the yeah, white orchids. Were yeah. And then the while. leaf <laughs> and the vase, that was like a huge trend before. And then I started right. working with flowers. And for me, it was like, 
okay, there's a lot of things lacking here. Like, first of all, this isn't that exciting. It's beautiful. And everything has its place in time. And I don't, I'm not against it. And I'm pretty sure it'll start coming back soon. Um, that more minimal style. But um, basically, they were also just tossing floral entire vases in the garbage. And to me, that like for a lot, like I said earlier, sustainability was very important to me. Mm -hmm. But there are tons of terrible trends right now. Uh, for instance, the bleached flowers. I mean, I'm in a, a spot right now where every single table has bleached flowers in them. And this is a very trendy spot um yet you mean they actually put yes. the flowers in bleach three water, to four times they... dipped in bleach so they and they it looks like when i first saw this ingredient it was very cool like it was something different it looked like something that had just been attacked by frost basically you know because it was all white and mm. i didn't understand the process involved in this uh -huh. but it's absolutely not natural and then they dry it and so they call it forever flowers and they almost um, sell it as a sustainable option because you can use them over and over, but they're bleached four times and it's really wow. bad, harmful environment for the workers. And so there are other, so there are, looking at trends, I would say there is a sustainable sort of movement um, working with no foam, this like harmful foam. And that's a huge. Yes, I had no idea until I read your book that floral foam is not is really bad. Yeah, for the and that's interesting, like because most people don't understand and don't ask their florists like and um, in all honesty, for the first time in nine years, I actually now have clients that come to us and ask for sustainable methods. So which I actually cried the first time because I have been, that's you know, n like just trying to educate people in terms of the, the no foam and now late in later years with the no bleach because I've used it my I have used the bleach flowers before I understood mm -hmm. so I don't want to mm -hmm. I don't like pointing fingers right, right. now Francis I want to ask you about your growth on Instagram because I remember when I first went on Instagram I was still working I was the editor of El Decor at the time and we had this wonderful woman who was in charge of our website and social media. And she, you know, they said, you have to go on Instagram. I didn't really know what it was. Mm -hmm. And they created an account for me. And I said, well, okay, but now I don't understand. What do I put on Instagram? What should I put? And she said, oh, just put on pictures of pretty flowers and you'll get tons of followers. And of course she was right. But you are the master of this. And I mean, I know you taught yourself photography, but the pictures that you create with the flowers that you grow, it's really stunning every day it's inspiring and you know as you said we're waiting for spring so it's really such a blessing to have you posting so how how does that go about i mean i, I know you do it as a way of showcasing your work and has it helped in that sense has your sales increased via instagram um well wait i want to i want to step back for one minute go ahead because i want to answer the question about trends of color mm -hmm. because i love vibrant color and i grow hundreds of dahlias which i've done now for hundreds I mean, is putting it mildly you are yeah. underestimating <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dahlias this, but, this is a know, woman you should know who turned a whole tennis court into garden no i know exactly <laughs> right right yeah so um when i'm figuring out what to plant whether it be daffodils tulips dahlias zinnias marigolds um you know any perennial peonies, roses, I love to go the entire gamut of color. And although I do love a cafe au lait and always plant them, you know, give me a really blood red Spartacus dahlia or, um, 
you know, the love lies bleeding. I, I love intense color. And, and the way that I think about my photographs really goes back to the fact that I have an undergraduate and graduate degree in art history. And I really draw upon that a lot when I'm thinking, when I'm composing, when I'm composing my, my photographs, you know, if it's in the morning or in the evening, I'm thinking, you know, am I going in a, a Mirandi direction? Am I going in a, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I really, I think a lot about the, the, the composition and the setup of it before I put all the flowers and the vase together, I either look at what is coming out of the kiln or what is coming up in the garden. And I really try to kind of fuse the personalities together when I compose the photograph. And, and I, Francis, your backdrops sorry. also are amazing. You have the most oh, amazing yeah, the backdrops, backdrops. Yeah. Um, and you oh, use amazing paint. So, you know, like I need yeah, to say that so we don't miss that part because oh, that's a whole thing oh, yeah. that alone, like, you know, that you um, find this red, let's say this red dahlia and then you, figure out what that backdrop should be. That's a whole, right. that's a whole process in your head, mm -hmm. right, Francis? Totally. I'm, I'm kind <laughs> Very of painterly mm -hmm. how your approach. Well, also I'm, it's, it's an abstraction as much as I'd like to put the flowers, you know, in a room on a table, which I do from time to time, but actually I'm really going for something more kind of theoretical and many, and in, in answer to your question about sales, I mean, so much of this, the the so much so many of the pots. I mean, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them are pots that I don't even sell. I I mm -hmm. don't I don't ever, I don't ever connect what I'm posting to. Oh, go on my website no. and buy this. You no, know, it's true. I know that. I'm glad Francis you pointed is that an out. <laughs> they're, yes, they're not. Ad, these are not advertisements for right. you know, buy this vase. No. And maybe and maybe that's what people respond to is that I'm just saying, this is what I think is beautiful today. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I've made. This is what I've grown. I th aren't these incredible? I'm so grateful to have them and here, see what I'm putting together. And that's really- and, and you share a lot of that in your book and you give people ideas and methods how to do similar things themselves, which I, I mean, both of your books do that, but yes. I think that's a wonderful part. Your, your book is just amazing. And I want yes. to get oh, yes. more Well, we'll thank more you for that. mentioning right. that. Yes, my book, Life in the Studio, that came out in 2020. And um, I, do, I do kind of talk about a lot of the philosophy beh behind what I make versus so much how to make right. it. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. I also want to get a sense from you, both of you, a little practical advice, because many of our listeners are designers or just people who are interested in making their homes beautiful. So I'd love to get a sense from each of you. What are, do you think, are the three or four most useful shape for containers, vases or urns or whatever, if you want to make arrangements either for a dinner party or for your entry hall or whatever, what do you think are the essential shapes of containers that people should have own? Who, who do you want to start? Why don't you start, Francis? Okay. Well, 
you know, well, Ingrid, you'll know this. Some of my favorite things to do is um, those beautiful little, I guess they're acorn vases that you can get at Sven Tankst. Is that how you say that name mm -hmm. of the store in Stockholm? Mm -hmm. Svensk Ten. Where, mm -hmm. Svensk, Svensk Ten, that's ten. right. Mm -hmm. They and, are special. Um, you know, Ingrid and I, Ingrid knows this, that my son, my son has married an amazing Swedish woman and they've been living in Stockholm for over 10 years. So we go to Stockholm quite often and I always go there and buy two or three. So there's nothing that makes me happier than running these little glass. So any little glass bud vase to run down the table or like, I do love a, I do love a ball jar. I think mm -hmm. that's a great, you know, a nice simple glass cylinder something that's sort of more bulbous, like a moon vase shape. And Ingrid, what would you recommend? For my typical style, a footed bowl with a wider mouth, um, because again, the lusher style, you know, where it's just the abundance, it's like you will get that drama. Things falling yeah, out, falling out Yeah, everything just spilling out, out everywhere. Like right. that's how right. you get that. The lushness. That. And, but the foot is important because that way you can have the spilling. If you're just spilling from a lower bowl, then it's not gonna you're not gonna the, get that beautiful one third the right ratio right. is very important like i said you know if you mm -hmm. get a vase back you know like i said before I mean, I mean from in sweden for example um a lot of people were like bringing lilies and putting them in vases but i always felt like the vase or vase um was a little too big so the one my biggest tip is when you're getting a vase is to make sure that you have enough flowers um, that it won't look like the vase is bigger than the flower, so to speak. You know, it's the ratio. So it won't look skimpy. Right. So that's yeah. it, because most often people, and I know this from experience from teaching people across the country during the pandemic, because we actually let people use their own vases, but I would give them a mm -hmm. dimension, um, right. a, a suggested dimension. Regardless, um, I would say at least 30% of the people would have a vase that was too big. So mm -hmm. make yeah. sure it's the right size. And then I have to agree with Francis. What I love is the juxtaposition of like a very lush sort of arrangement and then bud, bud vases like with just one or like one single ingredient. So you have this very like maximal arrangement um, mixed with that. It's kind of like uh, in a way for me, at least a person on a personal level, like my Italian side is the lush, like sort of overspilling dramatic arrangement. And then the bud vases are my Swedish side where it's just like very minimal. Like I love that juxtaposition and it's just so easy to make arrangements with bud vases. Like you literally just put a few stems at mm -hmm. varying heights in a bud vase and then maybe one single stem here and then mixing those two is like really something I love. And I love jars too. It was just that like backlash when people were like, no. right. Oh, that's I, the right it was like farm to table. Yeah. It was like too yeah. much farm too work, much, you know, too it's much. like, But right. so but, yeah, I right. still yeah, use I, jars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I do, I do love to make a footed bowl. Yes. I do love to throw a bowl with a pedestal. That's really fun. So I agree yeah. with you there. Mm -hmm. And then one other type of vase is the ginger. I don't know if this is the correct terminology, Francis, but a ginger jar where it's like a little bit narrow at the top and then slightly wider because then it's kind of squat. Yeah, because yeah. that way I can get my flowers to go sideways and I can like come yes. out. But if it's too straight, right. like cylinder vases are actually very challenging um, for yeah. me, at least if you're going to make a, an actual arrangement, cylinder vases are more challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one reason people just end up using big branches in right. them, and which if you can get flowering branches, because what else do you put in, especially if it's a tall cylinder, 
you know, what do you yeah, put in? Yeah, so that's why yeah. I love urn-shaped. And if that's, again, like, I don't know the terminology, right. well, but an urn-shaped v- vase is, mm-hmm. like, right. really great. Well, one of the things I love about a glass vase, which you can't get with mine, is that I love I love to see the stems. I do want to add one more type that is now. You actually mentioned that briefly, Michael, was... Um, because you mentioned ikebana, which is also mm-hmm. something I really love. Um, the sort of, I'm, I don't call any arrangements that I make similar to that ikebana. I call them ikebana inspired because it is actually a right, very old art form that I would never. Ikebana, yeah. yeah, and there's very specific rules yes. about ikebana. So, like, I do I not want to like... claim, I would never call it ikebana, but I call it ikebana right. inspired because I want to mm-hmm. respect that tradition and that. In very ancient tradition. Um, but with that said, a low bowl um, and a f- uh, using a Kenzan or a flower frog and just a few very minimal moments, that's really something special also in my right. opinion. So right. I do love, love, love that style. Yeah. And you're seeing more of that on, on Instagram. Yeah, it's, it seems like, you know, it, it is funny how, I, it, you know, I guess people sharing things and people respond. And I think now, after what's been a pretty brutal winter, maybe people are responding. Ju- they just appreciate just one or two mm-hmm. blossoms. And, and that's you don't why need... yeah. what's great about that style is that you can actually do it at home with less. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to have 10 ingredients, like you said. Um, so I do. It's something I do recommend everyone get like a, a flower frog and a low ball. And all you need is two or three. I mean, you can even do that just with a, one bunch of tulips if you cut them in mm-hmm. varying heights. And it's just all about where these tulips are going basically like how the stems are bending and then you just follow that sort of their direction so i do think ikeban is it's a very fun um trend um i don't like think we should call it a trend though because that's right. just but it's, it's, not, it's yeah. everything cyclical yeah. and it's it, you absolutely know, cyclical is coming back absolutely. it's like coming back and i think there's a appreciation for that and i think that you know i'd love to have a sense from like Francis, what flowers are you looking at now that you maybe hadn't thought about for a while? Because I think flowers also come, you know, as well as shapes and styles of doing mm-hmm. that. You know, Constance Bride was revolutionary in her time. And now, you know, we all become, I guess, cliched after a while. And then until long enough time goes by, then you become fresh again. But like friends, I'd love to get a sense of what flowers you, you're planting in your garden this this year, are you thinking about planting? I mean, it's ordering time now. Well, um, um, I I ordered a lot more David Austin roses this year. Oh, they're so, beautiful. Uh, yeah. A lot of, I or, actually ordered, I don't even, I don't keep track very well, but I think I'm going to have a lot of bare root roses showing up in the next few weeks. Um, <laughs> I, I ordered a lot of uh, geraniums, kind of, or pella, uh, I'm going to say Pelagoniums? This Pelagoniums. From yeah. this wonderful place in California, they're all in my greenhouse. I have um, all these beautiful auriculas coming into bloom, so I have to quickly throw a lot of terracotta pots so that I can photograph them. I have, you know, I love gladiolas. I have a lot of gladiolas coming now. In that's this year. a flower that was totally out of fashion for the yeah. longest time. I was taught never plant a gladiola; they're awful. They're <laughs> no, funeral no. flowers. I love gladiolas, and they're they're you. And bearded iris drive me insane. I uh, yeah. planted so many bearded iris, um, which are so exquisite. Again, back to Ingrid's comment about Ikebana, you know, to put uh, to put a four or five blooming bearded iris in a low bowl. I, I mean, and photograph it is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think what else I have. I've just, I've just in the greenhouse now. I have. Um, 
well, you know, I, I'm kind of late on the um, amaryllis. And so all the paper whites, I think I posted them yesterday. They're still blooming. So I, they're a little bit late to the party, mm-hmm. but they're they're coming on strong now. I don't they're know. They're beautiful. Yeah, they're great. They're I great. Love Muscari. Mm-hmm. And are, are there flowers? That I'd like, Ingrid, I'd love to yeah. know from you, and also you, Francis. But we'll start with you, Ingrid. Are there flowers that people could don't think to use in arrangements? Like I didn't know until two years ago that clematis is or clematis. I don't know how you pronounce it. Clematis. It's really a wonderful cut flower. Oh, I yeah. mean the f- color. So back to I just do think that one of the biggest things that I look at when I source flowers is the color versus what mm-hmm. type of flower it is. Because when people say, I don't like roses and generalize like that, it's just like, do you realize that garden roses are every in every single picture that you sent to me, like that is your inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't always just look at flowers, pictures, but you know, they often do send pictures. Right. I'm like, there's right. tons of garden roses like. in your, you know, inspiration. So you do like, you do like roses. You just don't know. Right. They don't maybe like the 24 long stem right. red roses. And I always say like, nobody really these days likes a tight red rose. I mean, pretty much nobody wants that. I mean, I am pretty sure the next five, 10 years, there's going to be some kind of ironic trend with that. But, you know, right now, um, for me, at least chrysanthemums have been like super, like for a while, a lot of florists in like, sort of the Brooklyn circle circuit. Um, we're using actually one thing that was surprising is carnations. But again, carnations, it wouldn't be a white carnation or a red carnation. It would be a very beautiful, dusty, dusty yes, right. like dusty. Yeah. And, and carnations, again, a flower that was totally out of right. fashion. I think they're beautiful. They smell amazing. They last forever. And if you use them the right way, they last forever <laughs> right. if you use them right. And then, yeah, so Chris, that, it, the new... In my opinion, the new carnation is the chrysanthemum at the moment. And because, again, they have them in these like dusty purple, gorgeous uh, lavender kind of color. There's this really beautiful rust chrysanthemum. And they're like a little wilder looking. They're not your standard chrysanthemums. Yeah. They're coming back. Right. Um, so I, And Francis, I, you're a big fan of chrysanthemums. I know, I know from I, your feet. I, I grow dozens and dozens of yes. chrysanthemums. They're all in the greenhouse now starting to sprout. I think they're right. spectacular and they they do go on and on and on. That's great. The other thing I was thinking of, like com- coming up soon, people, some a lot of people like I've heard gardeners not think very highly of forsythia, but forsythia is a really easy, easy thing to, you could cut it now and put it in a vase and it would start to sprout. Plume poppy. I love plume poppy, mm-hmm. although they say that's invasive, but I really like it. And viburnum, you know, any kind of flowering branches as you're walking around, magnolia, just like lop it off. And of Bring course, not your, not your neighbors, but. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. One thing I want to ask you both about, which I think is so interesting, um, in, in both of your books, you talk about the connection, each of you talks about the connection between food and flowers. And I'd love to get you to talk a little about that. Like Francis, um, you know, in your book, you actually have wonderful recipes. And I know what a great hostess and cook you are, having had the privilege of eating at your home, your beautiful home once. Uh, so I'd love to get what you talk about, you know, the connection, the creativity that you find similar. And then Ingrid, I'd love to get your take on that as well. Well, um, I, oh, I also remembered another thing that I grow that's a little bit unusual is I grow a lot of uh, tomatoes 
that I use in the arrangements. So tomatoes have a multi-purpose because not only do I use them in my arrangements, but then I use them in my cooking. And I, I actually started making ceramics because I love to entertain so much. And I thought I was thinking about the Bloomsbury group, you know, Vanessa Bell, Duncan Grant, mm -hmm. and all the people who lived at the Charleston farmhouse and how they created this world between the pottery and the paintings and the textiles. And so I, they were really much my uh, inspiration. So cooking to me, I, I'm a very much a hand person. So the cooking, the making of the pottery, it's uh, the knitting, everything I do is kind of very hand oriented. And I love I just I love to have people at the dinner table and kind of create this entire experience of everything on the table is something that I've made. And um, and I've just I've just always cooked since I was a child. The, I guess it's kind of creativity that you go into, like most of us cannot say that we put everything we put on a dinner table. We've made ourselves. I don't yeah. have that skill, but right. I can cook and I can very basically arrange flowers and, right. and make a, a, a you know a table setting and i think that that's something that you know all of our listeners uh aspire to either can do or whatever and i'm sure they're going to learn a lot from you so ingrid what about you because you talk about food as well and yeah book. absolutely well you know it's called flower recipe book but and and you know there's so many parallels between cooking and working with flowers um, both in the process, but also like on an emotional level. Um, I think a lot about, mm -hmm. you know, maternal sort of connections. When I ask people for the book about, you know, if they could share some kind of story um, from whatever, like uh, something that was inspiring to them in terms of flowers, everyone and everyone I talk to has some little story from when their mother, you know, did something when they were kids, maybe, or, or um, a teacher or some, you know, like, lady or someone that where they brought flowers and there was something really special that connection between people and flowers same thing with food like i grew up cooking with my mom that's how we connected um same thing we would go out in the garden that was a way to connect so like the 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 to me cooking is a lot about the connections we make uh when we create you know we have a dinner party and the same thing with flowers like for me it was when I did my first event and, and someone started crying because they were reminded of something from their childhood, from some farm uh, when they were kids in Sweden, you know, that is a really special connection and a way that we can touch other people. So for yeah. me, you know, cooking so, and flowers like go 100% hand in hand. And, and that's why I'm excited that there's going to be more flower books, just like there's lots and lots of cookbooks. There could be lots and lots of flowers and every flower arranging books and, and everyone has their personal story. And in terms of the recipes in my book, I, I, I decided to include the ones that are ones that I had made over the years relentlessly for the, the children, the family, the friends, and uh, pretty, pretty simple ones that I knew were tried and true. And, um, and not too many because it really wasn't a cookbook, but mm -hmm. things that were very much entwined in, in, in how, especially having the studio so close to the house, I can walk back and forth and, you know, make a cake or make a stew or, you know, have things going in process as the day goes by. Right. And the, the one issue um, that's different with flowers is the, like, accessibility and getting your hands on the same flowers. So for me, it was important to sort of 
create a base recipe where I showed the mechanics of the flower arranging using sustainable methods like the frog or the chicken wire, and then being able to use that um, base as you know, but still incorporate other flowers because it, you're never going to get the same flower arrangement right. um, from one person right. to the next like that. Right. But when you're cooking, it's a little like there is more, you know, access to same right. ingredients. Right. So. And and not everyone lives near, you know, a wholesale flower no. district like we have in New York. And even if you do, they're they're under stress because the flower business was yes. disrupted by pandemic and things were thrown away and now they're having trouble restocking. But one of the things that I think about both of your books that's really inspiring to me is often it's very simple things that can have a big impact. Like we were saying about the bud vases with a few bud vases with flowers or, you know, even, you know, supermarket flowers or deli market flowers. There are things that you can do with them that have impact because there, it is a very primal connection, I think, that people feel with flowers and plants. And, you know, if you have the right vase or... Even if you have a Francis Palmer vase, you can leave it empty and it's, it's stunning. Exactly. I mean, I literally with one of her vases just put like one ingredient um, right. in, in the recipe, in the book. Right. And that is part of the design, obviously, choosing the right vase. Right. So as we head towards spring, please, you know, knock wood that spring will get here sooner mm -hmm. or later. I think both of your books are really inspiring. Both of you are really wonderful talents when it comes to what the world of nature can bring into our homes. And I think our listeners are going to really enjoy it. And I want to thank my guests, Inga Karotsi and Francis Palmer for this wonderful conversation and thank everyone for listening to The Cherished Podcast. You've been listening to The Cherished Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time. Music.